What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This is it, the putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budget, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow, all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. This is the Rich Dad Stockcast with Andy Tanner, the show that kicks 401ks in the asphalt and teaches you to be the master of your own stock investing domain. And here's your host, Greg Arthur. All right, welcome to the show. This show is going to be talking about the future of finance. And it looks like the future is already here and growing rapidly, I'd say growing daily. What we're going to talk about today is decentralized finance. So Robert, very often, Robert Kisaki, he very often talks about the industrial revolution and how we've moved into the information age. But lately, he's been saying that we're moving into the decentralized age. And what he means by that is with the creation of blockchain, which is, man, I'm going to butcher this, but decentralized coding, we'll call it, that basically everything now is capable of becoming decentralized. Voting has that ability, your legal work banking, just about everything has the ability to be decentralized. And so that's the direction that he sees it going. And this show is going to talk about decentralized finance and not just about crypto and not just about blockchain, but there's other areas of decentralized finance. So as always, we're bringing Andy Tanner because he's the only one that understands this because this guy is going to be learning right along with you guys. So Andy, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I, I'm going to disclaim that right out of the gate is that Andy's the only one that knows this because he doesn't. <laughs> How about on this show? Yeah, I think what this really is, is a discussion because you know, this is so new and it, I think it speaks to a couple of things, Greg. Number one is I've never been comfortable, like I've never felt like an expert. I get interviewed and they ask me to be on a podcast now and again or TV or whatever. And they'll say, well, you know, here's Andy Tanner, the risk advisor for stocks. And I've always just felt like a student, you know, just sharing what I've learned so far. And so it really speaks to the self-concept we all have as students, because there's just every year I figured more stuff out and realized there's more I need to figure out. And so I just hate walk around as if I was an investing encyclopedia because I'm not, I'm just learning 
And where I've been grateful is I've been able to simplify what I have learned and help other people learn along with me. And so the other part of this, the you know, first part is we're all students here. And then the second part of this is no one can come on a podcast and say, yeah, I've, uh, I've got 45 years of experience in crypto, <laughs> right? Because it's so new and its proliferation is still in its infancy. But I study, you know, I just interviewed this guy, Campbell Harvey from Duke University, and he's wrote this book. I mean, books are coming out and I'm learning. And what what will be fun is I think we'll propose as many questions as answers, because the more I read, the more I think, well, how's this going to work? How's this going to work? So DeFi is kind of a fancy word. So I think one of the things we could do, you just did a great job explaining it, but we should probably talk a little bit about that. And then the importance of learning right now because if it becomes decentralized, a person will have to get smarter to win. And can we talk about one other thing too? Yeah. My understanding is with money, the Fed is where everything is centralized. And so the Fed has basically all the power. And I'd like to understand if you've gone down this path, why the hell they would even allow this? Because as soon as decentralization becomes a thing, and my perspective is they lose so much power and right now they have the power. So why don't they squash this? Well, there's absolutely, that's a legitimate question because everything you said is true. Now there's some advantages though to blockchain for them. And I think what would be most likely to happen is for them to try to compete with it by doing their own. I'll talk about some of the things I see that's an advantage for them to do it and also the disadvantages. But for those that are new, why don't we begin with you know decentralized finance? What in the world is that? Well, a central bank... You know, that's the word in the center of things. And it's not just the Fed. There's something called the Central Bank of Japan, the European Center, or the Bank of Japan, the European Central Bank, right? And before 1913, you know, once we left the 19th century and got in the 20th century, that's really when the Fed came about. I study a lot about the 18. In fact, I just bought a, another book today that talks about business in the 1800s because there's so much you can learn about what it looked like before you had centralized banking. If we're gonna decentralize, well, why not study what things were like before it was centralized? And really what it was is people making transactions, local banks, and, there were, and the reason they centralized is number one, to get some power, but also to get some control because there were a lot of problems when we didn't have centralized finance. You know, now by problems, do we mean things like fraud? Yeah, I mean, if you had a bank, um, let's say you're you're in Ohio, and they just, you know, the Ohio River now is, you know, they've got a canal system that they build off that river, and there's commerce. And Michigan had this huge in the 1830s before the big crash of '39. Um, you had this massive uh, credit expansion and massive industrial stuff. Well, a, got, a bank would say, we've got some specie, which is really just gold coins. And they would issue notes back, supposedly backed by those gold coins. But the problem was, is if you left Michigan and went to Ohio, are they really going to honor those notes? So it was very localized, right? The other problem you had, you had a small, it's kind of aggrandized and expanded beyond what it was because it's so scandalous. But there was wildcat banking. And, and what that meant is where the wildcats roam is you'd go out in the middle of nowhere and kind of start a bank and you'd have these fake notes, you know, with, without the proper specie. 
And those banks that, you know, you, then you'd leave town and those banks that, you know, steal the money and shut down within a year. So there were wildcat banks. So with these booms and busts, they said, hey, let's try to centralize this. So what is DeFi? You know, it stands for Decentralized Finance. Um, this is a great book called Define the Future Finance by Campbell Harvey. It's short. And, and there's going to be more books coming out. But let's talk about it's bigger than crypto. So let's talk about what it is. What decentralized finance is, is it creates relationships that we would call peer-to-peer. Now, what does that mean? Well, <clears throat> If I had a peer-to-peer network, that means that my computer connects directly with your computer and we, we bypass a lot of stuff. And what blockchain technology is, if I were to try to explain it for, from what I know about it, it's, it's like a ledger system. And it's very open and, and transparent. And there's a checks and balances that when there's a transaction recorded in the ledger, you know, that's verified by multiple, multiple, multiple sources and the transaction is, uh, you know, it's 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 very difficult to manipulate. You know, I've got a, a dear friend of mine. He's one of my cousins. He's a got an interesting job. He's an anti-cyber terrorist, an anti-terrorist cyber terrorist, whatever he is. He anti-terrorism in the cyber world. So when the United States come to attack, he defends it. He's got all his class A clearance and stuff, and can't talk about his job. But I was talking to him about it the other day and he says, man, it's a really tight technology. You know, it's tough to hack because it's so open all the time. It's still hackable, but it's, it's open. So right now people think, okay, what a great way to trade money around. Um, but it's not just money. As you mentioned, we could vote this way. And what's really interesting is we could trade stocks this way. Hey, can I take you back a sec? Yeah. The reason it's good with elections and banking and, and money is because you've got rid of, yeah, you got rid of the middleman. Yeah. So it's, it's much more, I'm going to say honest. There's no extra party to be. Exactly. There's no need to count the votes because they're counted automatically. There's no right. need to, I mean, the transaction and, and what's, what's scary is this. Um, there's still some travel agents that have been able to make a living some, but the truth of the matter is, uh, when you are able to go directly to Delta and begin to buy tickets directly from Delta, um, airlines or United, what, what's the travel agents going to do? I mean, you've got all their prices there. You've, you can choose. You can pretty much just work directly with Delta and get out You know, the, the travel agent now is really if, if you don't want to do all that stuff, right? But there really wasn't a need for one. So the amount of people, and, and I'll tell you, it's going to happen to um, you know real estate or uh, stock brokers. There's still some that you can call the broker and and do the trade, but by and large, you're using Ameritrade direct directly with Ameritrade. Okay. Well, this is the next level of that where where you know I I won't even need Ameritrade. I can just trade straight with you peer-to-peer. If I want to do banking, well, I don't need to, my bank is in my phone. Uh, I don't need to have a place to put money. I mean, think about how antiquated that really is. Originally, a bank was a place to put money and then they loan the money out. Well, I can have my bank in my phone now. So why would I need a credit card company? Why would I need a checking account? Um, I can just send money straight to you peer-to-peer 
why do I need a why do I need to have a bank here to hold this money where you know I write you a check and and, the, and you get it from my bank and put it in your bank if our bank is in our phone what do we need a bank for if our brokerage what do we need a brokerage for if you have some stocks and it's on the ledger and I want to trade the stocks with you and you buy them what do I need a brokerage for so it it can make this stuff pretty cheap to move large amounts of money, small amounts of money, not so much, but large amounts of money, like a billion dollar transaction. What if you could do a million dollar transaction for, you know, 30 bucks? Right, right, That's right. incredible, right? Can, can, I, can I take you back? It's not that the money's in your phone. It's in all these thousands of ledgers at the same time. Is that fair? They're verified. I mean, the, the, you have a wallet, right? Right. You're, you can have a wallet in the USB, right? And that's your wallet and you better not forget the password, right? right. It's there. That's one of the dangers of, of not having a bank is if you lose your money, you've lost your money, you know? So that's a big deal. You got to keep all those codes straight. Right. But once you make the transaction, that's when all, when the ledger shows the, the money moved. Right. Okay. And my other thing is you talk a lot about inflation versus deflation and how they're constantly fighting. Yeah. As we're seeing a lot of inflation through the Fed, Sounds like blockchain creates its own deflation because is, it's going to minimize jobs. Is that well, scary? no, I think, I don't know about, I, well, I, I'll, the answer to that is I don't know how it'll affect jobs. I, I don't know that yet. But what I think is really interesting is I mentioned, you know, I've had this class I've been kind of teasing that, that uh, we put out on, on monetary policy, really, on how money works. And there's many ways that money's created. Like when people talk about printing money, well, that's one way, you know, the, the Fed can buy some bonds and hit a keystroke and pay for those bonds. Now money's been created with a keystroke. But really, <clears throat> the first way they create money is what's called a fractional reserve rate, meaning how much of the money needs to be kept on deposit and cannot be lent out. Because right now it's, it's zero. You can lend out money. So think about this. Let's say I deposit $100,000 in a bank. So my bank says $100,000 and he has a savings account. Okay, they loan that $100,000 to you and you go buy a house. And the guy you buy the house from now has the $100,000. Well, we both have it. So you just made $100,000 out of nothing. Think about that. Is it still in my bank account? Does my bank account say 100,000? Does, right? I have $100,000 in savings. My bank takes that hundred thousand and loans it to you, and then you spend it. So that yeah, same yeah. hundred thousand dollars gets spent, and whoever you sold the house to now or bought the house from now has a hundred grand in his bank account for the house he sold. So two hundred thousand dollars is now there out of one. It just doubled one transaction, and that happens over and over and over. So one of the reasons, one of the ways they, I teach this in my class how this works. One of the ways they curb that is they tell the bank, well, you can only loan out, you know, part of that money, maybe 90,000 of it. But right now it's zero, you can do this. So what's interesting about blockchain is if we DeFi that, okay, how will loans work? If you take away a bank, then how will loans work? Well, they'll work peer to peer. So now if you're gonna be the bank, you need to decide if you're gonna loan your money out or not. And how does that affect the money supply up or down? What if you decide you don't want to loan your money out? So how do loans? Oh, look, look, look at what just happened to Greg. Right? All right, all right. I, 
I got to kill, This kills fractional reserves. So this kills so, the money supply dramatically. Well, or it expands it because what stops it for what stops you from borrowing money and what stops me from loaning my money out if I'm going to be the bank. So if you eliminate banks, you're, you're going to have to have loans because without credit expansion, you're going to have insane deflation. Yeah, that, that was my concern. But, but here's what's cool. The opportunity to be a bank is freaking awesome. But here's the thing. This is really important. Who do you know who to loan your money to and how? So your financial education is huge now because when, when you're a bank, how do you decide who to loan to? You, under, you look at their financial statements. You establish criteria. That's right? And you say, hey, here's who we loan to. Here's who we don't. If you're the bank, you'll have to make those decisions as well if you decentralize and there's no bank. Now, there's other answers to this, and people smarter than me will type in and say, well, Andy, and great, I'm happy to learn. But there's interesting questions. Brokerage questions. I mean, you. I just see us having to be so much smarter if you get rid of brokerages and you get rid of banks. It's awesome because it cuts out things and you know the, the ledgers, their voting is better. But we will have to be smarter for sure uh, to invest when you're in peer-to-peer, to save, to borrow, to loan. Uh, you eliminate all those institutions, you will have to be smarter um, for well, sure. Yeah, so I'm loaning money to you. You don't pay me back. I have no recourse to the way it is now. Is that correct? No, you can still have – no, you can still do contracts. What What's interesting about – about blockchain is, you know, there's the contracts are done as that. Well, it's all about agreements, exchanges and contracts. Right. And so, no, it's, it's absolutely just as solid, but see, you'll have to be smarter to understand who to loan to, what collateral do you want or not? A bank might do a line of credit. A bank might do a credit card. A bank might do a mortgage loan. They might do a construction loan. There's all kinds of financial products that banks have and different criteria and interest rates on how they're loaning the money to who. So if you get rid of a bank and you decentralize it and the bank is in your pocket, then you'll ha- you, now you get to make those decisions or not loaning your money out at all. And if you don't loan your money at all, there's really no interest being paid anyway now. So maybe some people say, I'm just happy to have a safe place to keep my money. I don't need to get paid on it. Or okay, maybe so- I need to invest better. This explains like daily, you see new tokens being made. Some are, a lot of them I see are, so you can options trade. Uh, so this takes a, a broker. You could options trade crypto, but I see other ones that, oh, here's a, a way you can loan money out of, here's a token where you can loan money to other coins. I guess I don't really understand it. Yeah. So that's why there's daily, and I mean daily, new tokens, coins, services being created to really uh, fill up this vacuum that's being created. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's stable coins that are in theory, you know, attached to a dollar, which, which that kind of defeats the purpose because in some ways, because the whole idea was to get it untethered from a dollar. Right. I mean, you know, the other thing that, that I see, and it was interesting, I was interviewing, I found the first guy that agreed with me on this. Um, Campbell Harvey actually agreed with me on this. So crypto one of the problems you have uh, in the financial world is dogmatism. Um, and we follow in this too, myself, you know, like Robert and I, uh, if you put us in a room, he'll say, 
uh, well, I never invest in stocks. I go, well, I love stocks. So, you know, right there out of the gate, there's dogma where you just say, well, this is better. And Warren Buffett says, no, this is better. And T. Boone Pickens says, well, no, this is better. So as soon as someone becomes emotionally attached to crypto, do they become cheerleaders of it? Oh, Bitcoin's the new thing. It'll take over the world. I love Bitcoin. I put my hand on my heart and salute the Bitcoin. And someone will poke a hole in Bitcoin. No, you're wrong. And it becomes very, almost like religious you know, like a, a Methodist and a Protestant or yeah. a Methodist and Presbyterian fight. Let me give you an example of that. On our, our last episode, you said, I sold all my Bitcoin to fulfill a promise. And yeah. then we got one or two comments that said, I'm never listening to this guy again. This guy's an idiot. He sold his Bitcoin just to fulfill a promise. What an idiot. I'm not listening to him. Yeah. So, yeah, total dogma. And maybe they don't even, and they probably don't even understand what I did and how much money I made doing it. They just heard that, their brain shut off. He's an yep. idiot. Yep. Never but yet they haven't looked at my financial statement to see, uh, I'm also getting paid to buy. In fact, this month, uh, I'm actually getting paid to buy some Bitcoin if it gets cheap enough, right? So what do they know? Uh, but what's interesting is, is one of the holes I poked in Bitcoin that would shut the, the cheerleaders of Bitcoin off. I said, look, and, and actually, this guy actually agreed with me. It's the first person I found that agreed with me. I says, the biggest problem with Bitcoin, perhaps, is obsolescence. And the, the analogy I use is this, is if you're old like me, young guys wouldn't know this, but if you're old like me, there was a day where we didn't have word processing. And we typed on a typewriter. And, and if, you, if you made a mistake, there was a stuff called whiteout. And you would white it out and type over it or retype the whole freaking paper again if it was for school, right? You couldn't make one mistake typing or you had to rewrite the whole paper because professors didn't like the white out. That was sloppy. Then you had a little brother thing, you know, where it, it kind of helped you word process a little. It was kind of machine. And then you hit the personal computer. And there was a company called WordPerfect. And WordPerfect was uh, actually some guys in my home state in Utah became just zillionaires overnight because everyone used WordPerfect. It was the word processor across the world, man. These guys made huge bucks. And then all of a sudden, Microsoft said, why don't we build one into our operating system? And they invented something called um, uh, Microsoft Word, I believe it is. And WordPerfect was done. And they had this thing called Quattro Pro, which was a spreadsheet and Lotus. And uh, they came out with Excel spreadsheet and they were done, like instantly, over. And, and so what I'm saying is the first wave of the technology, we came out with this DVD and thought, this is it, DVD, put the whole Library of Congress on one disc, this is it. Uh, I don't even have a DVD player anymore because it's all streamed. So even though blockchain is a thing, um, Ethereum does things that, that Bitcoin can't do, and most people don't know the difference. There's algorithms written into Ethereum that make it different than Bitcoin is. And I just see Bitcoin is like kind of like the word perfect. It's the first cool, oh, this is it, word per, look how be much better than typing this is. This is so much better than typing on a typewriter. But, but if you believe in technologies change and what we call the rate of change, you know, like and we're getting into calculus now, like the rate of this change. Um, technology would say that Bitcoin would become obsolete 
in favor of a new technology. And when AI gets better, who doesn't know that blockchain becomes obsolete and we find a better way than blockchain. So to, to say, oh, this is the end all be all for the rest of your lives. That's like my dad saying, look at this TV, look at this black and white TV, look at this TV tube, you know? He never would imagine we'd be carrying them around in our pocket, right? Or virtual reality, right? Oh, look at this 3D, yeah, try VR. And so the, the world is going to uh, continue to change and, and it's never been more important just to become a student to try to keep up because it's starting to go exponential now. The, the changes are so fast. So DeFi is interesting. Now let's talk about the benefits of DeFi to a central bank. One of my pet peeves is, uh, you know, Robert is, Robertson, I'll, I'll give Robert this, real estate can be better often for uh, tax purposes because there's so much debt in it. You know, now I can get a Roth and be tax-free completely, zero tax. But if it's not Roth, you know, I'm going to get chomped and the capital gain stuff has gone up now. It used to be 15%. Now they're talking maybe 25, what they might go to, Oof. 25 now. So, so taxes bug me. And, you know, everyone says, well, what's your fair share? You know, Andy, pay your fair share. Well, if you're in the highest tax bracket, dude, it, after a while, it's just like, are you kidding me? You know, what? And, and so I, I guess I'm an evil, rotten person, you know, because I don't want to pay all these taxes. But the, the fact of the matter is they bug me. And what really bugs me is people that deal in cash because I feel it's dishonest. And often I'll have people say, I'm just going to call it what it is. And, and I'll offend people that do it and they'll justify and rationalize whatever. But, but look, they'll come up and they'll say, hey, if you pay me cash, I'll give you a discount. Now, why are they doing that? So because they don't have to pay the taxes on it. It's a hidden transaction. Blockchain kills that. If you go to a cashless society, you lose your privacy of transaction for sure. I mean, every transaction you ever make will be in the, in the ledger. So, you know, if you buy something, you know, if you go out and you tell your wife you're going to stop buying beer and you go buy some, you can't hide that anymore with a cash purchase, right? If you want to surprise her, <laughs> you better have an account she doesn't know about right. uh, because you can't pay cash. And if you want to cheat on your taxes by having a cash business, think of, you know, you ever seen the Breaking Bad series? Sure. You know, think of how that works with fraud and money laundering. I mean, it really makes it tougher for these mobsters to launder their money. So there's a lot of benefits to a very, you know, the, the word veritas, truth, right? When it's verified through blockchain, do you think the IRS would be a fan of that? Yes. How much revenue do they lose by people that cheat on their taxes? Just flat out cheat. I mean, if they got caught, they'd go to prison, but they know they won't get caught. And so they do it uh, to heck with the integrity of it. So that solves it. I mean, I wouldn't say it solves it, but it goes a long way to saying, hey, you got to, society's got a little, a little bit more on the up and up uh, because cash transactions are, you know, you're not private anymore. That yeah, that, and that's the word right there. You just lost all your privacy. So if I were to go I buy mean, a gun, so speak. I mean, well, yeah. now the government knows everyone who owns a gun. Is this accurate? I, I don't know. You know, are, are they hidden? Um, like, do people really know or care that Andy, can you go and Google what Andy bought? No, 
right? You're not going to be able to like try to Google the last crypto thing I bought. You're not going to find it, right? But the powers that be could, in theory, say, you just made a transaction, give us your taxes. So it gives them that ability. I'm not saying it's there now. And you're already having the government say, like, if you've, if you've made any money at all, they're asking you, did you make crypto transactions? And you're going to have to report those, right? And so the government can, can say, hey, did you make crypto transactions? You better be transparent with those. And it's just a matter of time before they could create an algorithm. Maybe it's private for you, but they'd want to see. So it's right. a new world of stuff. Now, here's your problem. So the, the, the government would love uh, to have a cashless society for those reasons, right? They would love that. Now, how do you print money, though? Right? How do you control it? And in a way, we already have a cryptocurrency. I mean, most of the U.S. dollars are not printed. Most of them are just an entry on a ledger anymore anyway. It's just not a peer-to-peer type of idea. So, you know, are they, and you, you asked the, a salient question, Greg, um, about is the government going to sit by and do this? I'm going to make the crypto people mad at me again. I'm not poking, you know, I, I, I say this, if I couldn't look at stocks, because I'm kind of a stock guy, I'm known for that, but I, I really enjoy business and real estate too. But if you look at stocks, if I can't poke holes in stocks, I probably don't understand them. You know, anyone who says real estate's the best, there's no problems with it. They probably don't understand real estate. Kenny could tell you the problems with real estate. In fact, being an investor is seeing the problems that your assets class, why do so many people lose money in all asset classes? Because there's problems with it. Right. For example, with stocks, you've got great liquidity. You also get great volatility with that. With Bitcoin, you got great liquidity and huge volatility right? There's, there's ups and downs to, you know, to every type of investment. So if I can't critique my own asset, I probably don't understand it. So if you're a big Bitcoin fan and you can't see the risks and the problems with it, you're probably in la-la land. I hate to say that. But well, and that's what Robert says. You always have to look at both sides of that coin. Sure. Like stand right on that edge, look at both sides, yeah. then you can choose a side. So just because I say stocks are over, you know, are very volatile, that doesn't mean I don't like them. I'm anti-stocks. I'm just saying, look, if you're going to get involved with it, you know, if I'm going to trade, um, I do the same thing. If I'm going to trade technology stocks, I have obsolescence risk. I think about that obsolescence risk with stocks as well. Why did Blockbuster Video go out of business? Obsolescence risk. Netflix replaced an old technology. Blockbuster used to be the coolest thing in the world. You know what? We don't got to go to the movies anymore. We can choose anything we want now. We don't have to wait for the sound and music to come out once a year on TV or you know the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston every Easter. I can go watch it anytime I want. Well, this is great. Netflix, done, over. So I'm just saying obsolescence risk is something I look at in stocks. So if I say Bitcoin could have some of that, because it is a technology, don't shoot me. Just say, well, okay, is it is it legit? Is that a legitimate concern? If you if you don't see that, and you're probably dogmatized, and as Steve Jobs says, don't be trapped by dogma. Don't be trapped by what other people have told you. Another thing that that concerns me about uh, about how crypto could work, and one of the arguments that I I kind of say, look at both sides is DeFi is decentralization. And part of the, 
the appeal to it is if I live in Argentina uh, and my currency in Argentina is just volatile and losing and inflation, you know, here's a place I can get some wealth and store some wealth at least that, that is outside of my centralized system of Argentina, right? I don't have to have an offshore bank account with US dollars in the Caymans. Right, right. Uh, I can have crypto. And so to circumvent the, the the printing of money in Venezuela or the printing of money in Argentina or in, in printing money in the United States for that matter, there's a very legitimate appeal to circumvent a central bank who can print money and have a store of wealth in somewhere else. If you have gold and you're an Armageddon, you know, type of apocalyptic thinker, which I'm not, uh, but, oh, I'm going to bug out and get on a plane. Well, you can't take your gold with you on the plane, right? You can only wear so much Mr. T jewelry. And, you know, if you got a bunch of gold bricks, they're not, they're going to stay in the U.S. So now I can get on a plane and I can escape and my crypto goes with me, right? All that, you know, conspiracy theory stuff is legit. Here's the thing. Oh, you've got to unmute yourself. Let me add one more. This is the thing Robert keeps telling me. Like right now, try to buy physical gold. It's nearly impossible. Yeah, but then yeah. go try to buy crypto. Bam. Yep. yep. Piece of cake. But, but that tells me that physical gold is very valuable. <laughs> if you can get it. Yeah. So I kind of like having some. Exactly. Yeah, it's hard to get. But crypto has a half-life to it too, right? I mean, that could be that could make crypto very valuable. Um, because written in the code is it has this almost I'll call it like a half-life of growth. Right. In other words, it's going to grow less and less and less and less and less to like 20, you know, 40 or 34, whatever it is where it's done. Yeah. Every day, every year, whatever, they and, and, create less Bitcoin. And we'll get to that in a minute. But but back to the idea of, of poking a little hole in it. So the idea is we're going to circumvent the centralized bank and eliminate them and we'll just transact with each other. There's nothing the central bank can do about it. Uh, wrong. <laughs> There's this thing called a gun. And, you know, they say, who who makes the gold makes the rules? No, he who has the guns makes the rules, okay? And it's like MMT. Um, I'll tell you who really has the power. Whoever is taxing you is in charge, okay? Whoever's taxing you is in charge. So let's say you live in the United States like I do, and they want to take some of your wealth. Um, they can get you out of crypto pretty quick. They'll say, um, we're going to tax you in U.S. dollars and we're going to raise your taxes. So whatever you want to get it, sell your gold, sell your stocks, sell your crypto, but we only accept U.S. dollars. We print them and we, we, we send them out. We expect them back. That's MMT. So you say, no, I have crypto. And they go, yeah, but you have to pay your taxes. Well, yeah, but I have crypto. We don't accept crypto. Oh, so I got to sell my crypto and turn it dollars? Yes, you do. What if I don't do that? Okay, you can go to prison. That's fine. And they say, well, I won't go to prison. Okay, well, then they'll come and get a gun and they'll point it at you and say, come to prison. So, so you know, you have to pay taxes. Look, death and taxes can't get out of those two. Those are certainties. You can't, crypto can't keep you out of the grave. You're going to get older and you're going to die someday and crypto can't stop that. And you're going to pay taxes. And so if the government decides, they're the ones that decide whether or not crypto is going to happen. 
If they don't like it, they'll invent their own and say, pay us taxes in this. Or if they don't like it, they can make it illegal. Or if they don't like, like China say, oh, it's illegal now. Or if they don't like it, they'll say any crypto transaction, we charge like a gasoline. If you buy gas, you pay a tax on the gas. Okay, you want to make a crypto transaction? Raise a tax on the crypto. So the people that have the laws and the guns are in charge of this. And the idea that you can just circumvent that and not pay taxes, uh, good luck to you. Good luck to you. So I see that as, as kind of a, a barrier. Now, that said, do I own some crypto? Absolutely. Am I planning? I have to. It's the future. I have to learn about it, right? I don't know what's going to happen. I just, I just say DeFi, decentralized finance, it's a total reboot of the entire financial system. Think about that. It is an entirely new world in the reboot of everything we know about brokerages, everything we know about central banks, and even everything you know about commercial banks. Can you imagine uh, the obsolescence of college? I mean, if you're a, if you're a college professor, you got to be peeing your pants because I can get information anywhere I want to. You can have a classroom of billions of people if you wanted. If you really wanted to, you could go private like I have, Cashflow Academy. I can teach millions of people all around the world anytime I want. And you know, a guy in a classroom has got 30 students. And if he's a crappy teacher, he's not good at it, he's dead. So this, you know, this technology threatens school teachers. What did you learn about COVID? What did the parents learn about COVID? Uh, they really got insight on what the school teachers really do every day. We had some, we had some teachers. I looked at them and I says, man, these guys don't do anything. I mean, my yep. kids do all the work, the, the computer grades, the papers. I mean, um, it was an eye opener to me. Some teachers were awesome. I mean, you could see how involved they were and how, how it hurt you to homeschool. Others is like, this is just easier not even to mess with this guy. Just get it done. Right, right. So, so education is going to change with technology. Uh, law is going to change because contracts can be done through this stuff. So attorneys are going to change. Brokerages, I don't see a need for one. I don't see a need for a bank anymore. I see no need for a bank anymore. And I see a need for a travel agent. So we're talking about the potential reboot of the entire financial system. That's what de de decentralized finance represents. So what does that mean to me? I better start learning. I better not get dogmatic. I better look at it with a critical eye. Um, and you got to be careful. If I poke a hole in, in stocks, that doesn't mean I'm not going to invest in them. You know, real estate has a lot of leverage in it. If you don't understand debt like Kenny does and Robert does, it'll kill you, right? It's a ton of debt to handle. And if you don't know what you're doing, it'll eat you up. It's not means we don't participate in it. It's just got to know about it. So like Robert always says, there's three sides to every coin. If I can't come to the edge where I can see both sides, I'm not intelligent. Anyone who can't poke a hole in his own asset class that he's playing in probably doesn't understand the asset class. If you can't find the negatives and the risks, um, and I will say this, is crypto risk-free? No. I'm going no. I'm saying no. And risk management is the cornerstone of your financial education. So all types of new opportunities, all types of stuff. Uh, to me, it's exciting. A lot of people hate change. It causes upset. And they're like, oh, man, the, I didn't say it's a meltdown. I said it's a reboot. 
I love rebooting my computer. It's fresh start. I love cleaning. I love a new computer. It's all clean. You know, no, no million files from, from forever. It's brand new. I like the idea. I just, there's some uncertainty too, which means we have to learn it. And I'll be a student right next to everybody else. And I'm going to be learning it. So that goes back to, and then we'll wrap this up, diversification. Because there is uncertainty in every asset class. Is this why you are in every asset class? So one yeah, uh, negative and one uh, is a positive and another. And so you're kind of always protected? Um, I don't look at it as a diversification so much. I'm not a fan of diversification because why spread my... It's like Warren Buffett said... If you have a hundred stocks you invest in, um, that means that you know seventy of them are not in your top thirty. So why would you put money? You know, what Buffett ranks it my best investment down, my worst one, and he says anyone that just diversifies for the sake of spreading it out uh, doesn't know what they're doing because why would you not put all your money in your top ten? Right? I'm talking asset class diversification. Yeah. Like you're you're an entrepreneur, you're a real for estate sure. investor, you're now a crypto investor. Yeah, I, I, I think those decisions, this is really important. I think those decisions are made in two ways. I think the first one is, as you look at your financial statement, you, you say, what do I want it to look like? Right? What are my goals? So, is, you know, is, is it hedging? Is it income? Is it growth? Is it legacy? What are my goals? And I'm going to invest uh, based on my financial statement, what I want it to look like. So if my wife and I have a meeting on Thursday once a week, we look at our financial statement, we say, well, what, what do we want to change about it? Well, what assets can do that for us, right? And so sometimes it might be looking some more gold, maybe some crypto, maybe, you know, does that make sense? Yeah. And then the second thing that makes that determination is what are you good at, right? Like someone said, someone say, Andy, are you going to make more money, uh, uh, selling a book or buying a stock. I go, I'll sell a book because books cost me zero on Kindle and I can't beat that. If I sell a book for nine bucks on Kindle and it costs me nothing, that's the best return I can, I can't beat it in stock. So I love being an entrepreneur, but I'll tell you this, I can often beat a real estate investment with a stock by not going into debt with an option, right? So I can write a covered call. I take on no debt. I'm using options as leverage or, you know, a leap with a covered right. All that stuff, but I love my real estate because I can use the debt and they do different things. So I don't do it just to spread it around. Like I don't own a lot of real estate. It's the only asset class that I can't say that I've lost probably the least in. COVID was the first time I lost money in real estate. And I can't say I lost the money. I just, they quit paying rent. So I had money out there that wasn't working anymore, right? It was tied up in some syndications and they quit making distributions, right? which could happen in stocks. You know, that same thing happened. Some stocks quit paying, like Delta Airlines quit paying a dividend. So the same thing happened to me in stock. But I think when it comes to DeFi, the biggest deficit I have is knowledge, is I've got to learn more about it. That's why I say I'm not an expert. And you know what? If someone types in the comments says Andy doesn't know what he's talking about, they might dang well be right <laughs> in what they're saying. I'm not a crypto expert. But I do think we have to have conversations on it. I think it affects the stock market. I think it affects, for sure, lending in banks and bonds, for sure. And so we'll be learning it as students as, as go along. And we're all students. Right, right. Well, it wasn't too long ago we had Jeff Wang on who, to talk yeah. about crypto. And I remember you ended up calling him after because you are a student and you wanted to learn even more about crypto. And 
What I was most impressed with him is we talked about poking holes in our own asset class and he's like a crypto guy and he was poking holes in it like crazy, which for me, that gave him massive credibility. Yeah. Kenny can tell you the pitfalls of real estate. Yeah. Uh, he can. He can tell you the, the pitfalls. Robert can tell you the pitfalls of real estate. That's why you get good at it. Once you know yeah. the pitfalls, you can play defense and, and do better in the asset class. Yeah. So Jeff, he helps run the uh, Rich Dad Crypto Newsletter. Fantastic. And if you, if you watch the videos he creates, he will very often give it such an honest opinion that it'll kind of make you wince, you know, but yeah. that's why he's so great. When I've talked to him about Bitcoin, he's almost like past that. He's, oh, much, yeah. more, he's much more interested in other crypto technologies and what's coming down the road next. Yeah. If you do his newsletter, he almost never talks about Bitcoin. It's always because there's such other coins you can get such a higher rate of return on. Yeah. That, but it's funny when I have a headline that says I sold my Bitcoin to keep a promise in, you know, someone says he's an idiot or maybe, yeah. maybe someone else says, why did it, how, why and how, and they might learn something because right now I'm getting paid to buy it if it gets cheap enough. Right. Right. That's just cool. Yeah. If it gets cheap enough, I'll get paid to buy it. So let's end on that real quick. One, if you're interested in stocks, you have a, a ton of free webinar videos in the show description. Yeah, and not just stocks. I mean, I feel that in order to trade stocks, you need a financial education that's just a basic fight. Like to trade stocks successfully, you'd need to understand your country's monetary policy. Right, right, right. To do real estate, you need to understand your country's monetary policy. So we have a lot of stock stuff, but we also have a lot of education. No matter what asset class you have, you have to start with a foundation, I think. It'd be good to. And I think that's one of the things we're the best at is helping people understand basic financial statements, basic stuff for any asset class you want to go into. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's one of the points. Uh, the strategies you use in stock, you're now using in crypto. You use options in Bitcoin. Yeah, so that's just crazy yeah, absolutely. cool. Absolutely. Yep. Well, all right. Sure. So, you know, someone's going to say, so what do we learn about DeFi? Well, Oof. I would say this. Reboot of the entire financial system is not only possible, it's probable. It really is. Just as sure as the 8-track tape became obsolete, right? Just as sure as the cassette tape became obsolete largely, you find a few around here. Paper money absolutely could be, we could be looking at paper money the same way we would look at a tally stick yeah, yeah. Uh, or seashells or any of the other antiquated stuff. As far as gold goes, could gold become obsolete? You know, now the gold bugs will freak out. But in 1971, when we went off the gold standard, someone's going to say, well, that's when a dollar quit being money. Another guy say, well, that's when gold quit being money. Because we're not using gold anymore. Right. Both sides of the coin, right? Both sides of the coin. We could very well, 100 years from now, say, remember when people cared about a yellow metal that sat there and did nothing? You know, we may put it in a computer phone. Remember how we used to think that was valuable? In the same way, we might go back and say, remember when those guys thought seashells were valuable? Remember when they used to do taxes with tally sticks? Things are moving quick. Things are moving quick. Yep. So to not be dogmatic and tied, you know, people have this sense of wanting to surety in something. So they get dogmatic about it, right? I want to be sure. Let that stuff go. It'll trap you. Be a student. So there you go. Enough All, right. All right, Andy, thank you very much. Great conversation, man. It's <laughs> Holy cow, blows my mind. All right, thanks, Andy.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.